It is a pleasure to be with you this afternoon, this evening. Um, I do have some history with some of your folks. Um, Derek, Derek uh, McLarty from back in the day. I was his student minister, I suppose was my title. And I just thank God that I didn't do so much damage that he was, uh, you know, unrecoverable. And it was right of me. The spirit was involved. When I told him on that day, I said, look, if you're going to go anywhere, go to Grace Church because they're going to care for you. And that was what? I don't know. Ten years ago, 11 years ago, something like that. And then Phil, I'll never forget. One of my most cherished memories, and, and I'm being totally serious, working in the pharmacy at the hospital and it's a somewhat dark place and there's not a lot of like truly like Christ-centered relationships. And so I remember when we, I came in for my shift midday and, and they introduced me to the new pharmacist and, and then it just took a moment for us to somehow make the connection that he was at Grace Church. And then it must have been weird for all of our coworkers because we totally embraced right there in the IV room. It was almost like a long lost brother. Like that's how important it was for me. And so I cherish those memories. But then Jordan, it was um, probably 13 years ago, 12, 13 years ago when I first met Jordan and heard him speak, and I heard a lot of pastors speak, and I was trying to plant a church, and was very foolish and naive. And when I heard Jordan speak, I was like, I want to listen to more of what he has to say. And so the Lord allowed me to stay with him a couple hours a week for the better part of nine months. I suppose I was waiting on one of their many children to be born, whoever is about that age. Um, that's who we were waiting on. And that, that, was a, that was a season that the Lord used great, greatly in my life. And now, by his grace, the saints at Cedarview who greet you have hopefully been benefiting in some way for these past almost eight years. So uh, you may not know me, and that's not important, but just know that I love Grace Church. So thankful for your ministry. I know that you guys are walking through 1 Timothy, and so I felt it would be a good idea to sort of go into maybe a flashback, uh, back to 1 Thessalonians and get a little bit of what Timothy experienced in his ministry alongside Paul. And so we'll be in 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to read at the end of chapter 2, and I'm going to read through chapter, chapter 3, verse 10. And my hope is that Maybe we can look into this text and highlight how Timothy was shaped even in these early days of walking with Paul. So we're talking today about events that happened more than 10 years before Timothy became the pastor at the church at Ephesus. Timothy had an integral role in the deep connection between Paul and this local church at Thessalonica. Now before we flash back, maybe we could go forward a little bit and you get a, a, a little dose of what Paul says to Timothy in reminding him of what he experienced with him. First off, you know the verse, you know, all the things that you've heard from me, the things I've taught you in the presence of many witnesses. 
Entrust these to faithful men who will teach others also. We could say that that sort of encapsulates what he was taught or what, what uh, Paul taught him. But then in 2 Timothy, also 2 Timothy, chapter 3, he says, you, Timothy, however, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So he was taught some things, but he also caught a lot of things you can imagine over this span of ministry alongside Paul. Hopefully we get a bit of a glimpse of that. And so we have in our text the primary view of Paul being encouraged through this letter, this, this report that Timothy was bringing from the church at Thessalonica. But secondarily, I'm hoping that you'll be able to see, maybe fill in a little bit more about what you know about Timothy. So let's read. And y'all forgive me, I am not used to having all these lights in my face. So if it looks like I'm squinting, that's exactly what I'm doing. First Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse 17, and our focus will be verses six through 10 in chapter three. Hear the word of the Lord. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, God's coworker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Verse six, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our desires and afflictions, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Join me in praying once more. Father, help us understand your word and hear you clearly today with the help of the spirit that Christ would be exalted, that our faith would be increased, that we would look more like this one to whom we look. We pray these things in his name. 
Amen. So I want to point out a, a few ingredients, a few things going on here that were critical to this relationship. And really, that's where it begins. It's, it's a relationship. There is the relationship that Timothy observed here in verse 6. Timothy has just now come to us from you. The tone right here and the tone moving forward is deeply personal. This is not just a, a mention of travel plans being fulfilled. Timothy serves as the link between Paul, who holds these believers in a very special place in his heart. If you know the book, you know it well. This connection between Paul and this fledgling church under persecution in need of every bit of help that they can get. And so Timothy maintains the relationship during this long season where Paul is unable to see them face to face. Furthermore, Timothy was sent at great personal sacrifice to Paul. Verses one and two, we read. When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone and we sent Timothy, our brother, God's coworker in the gospel of Christ. So the language there, Paul felt a heavy sense of loss at the time when he needed Timothy the most. But he did it for the sake of these Thessalonian believers. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but Timothy's report is the reason that this letter is in front of you right now. Paul and his companions are beat down on the mission field. Many commentators say that they're severely depressed and directionless about the opposition that they have faced. And so when Paul hears of how well the Thessalonians are doing, how their church is doing, it says Hebert comments, he says, his heart overflows with the inspiration of the occasion, with a, a spontaneous glow of affection and joy. Now this is one of those, those passages for you folks. I know every church has got them, people that love to write letters. You love those thank you cards and those sympathy cards. And, and I think you're a lot like Paul in that, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let these folks know. I'm gonna write it right here and they're gonna be blessed by it. I was blessed by the report he's saying. I'm gonna let them know about it. There is this relationship that Timothy's observing, but there's also the report that he brings. And what's interesting here is Paul calls it the good news. The good news. That's the same word that we use in Scripture for the gospel. Do you see how the good news of the advance of the good news is what builds Paul back up? It's what recovers him in so many ways. You know, this is the only time in Scripture and Paul's writing where he, he uses the word gospel to describe something other than the death and resurrection of Jesus. So this is not accidental. It's a word of cheer. It's a word of glad tidings. And it shows us the supreme value that Paul places on all the growth that happens after people are saved. Reports of salvation are certainly news we want to hear, yet reports of continued growth, of maturity, of perseverance under persecution, those reports 
They only cause our faith to swell and thanksgiving to abound as we see in this text. So what does John say in his letter? I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. So there is this relationship, there is this report. This good news mentions their faith and love, which got this letter started. He says in the beginning of the letter, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 3. Faith speaks to the Godward aspect of their testimony, which had become an example to all the believers. Love speaks to the relational aspect of their testimony, which bound them together as a unified community. Hebert explains, if their faith separated them from the world, then their love united them more closely to each other. And so it was Timothy's great pleasure to bring this report to Paul, the proof of their being chosen by God for salvation. Observed at first, but as he learns, was still bearing fruit in faith and love. And now if you compare this back with verse 3 in chapter 1, you'll notice that there's a deletion of hope. And that may be intentional. Because it was their hope that needed a bit of a course correction. It was their hope that needed to be strengthened in the truth and against errant teaching. So Timothy got to observe this relationship. Timothy got to bring this report but then he gets to report about their reciprocation. There's a relationship, a report, and then there is reciprocation. Timothy reports also concerning their reciprocated affection for Paul. You know that occasion when you tell somebody, I love you, and they respond and they say, thank you. You're like, that's not what I was expecting. Maybe that love is not reciprocated. Right, those, those who have been in those courting days, you know, when you hear something like, I think it's best if we just be friends, you know that that love is not reciprocated. You definitely know it when you hear, it's, it's, it's not you, it's me, right? It's not reciprocated. It's not what's happening here. Every measure of affection that Paul felt for these believers is clearly communicated in reciprocation back to him. They reciprocate the fond memories of Paul as he does for them. The report says that the Thessalonians always remember us kindly. Literally, good remembrance of us always. This was and is their attitude toward Paul. They remember his teaching, his influence, and they're filled with love at the thought. Not only that, but just as Paul longs to see them face to face, so they do him as well. It's reciprocated. Now let's move a little further in the text. And I hope that you are able to see just upon reading it, how the reports of what God is doing elsewhere, especially those reports that you hear from people or about people that you personally have invested your life into, 
You see how that builds you up. It, it, it recovers you. It injects joy into you. Maybe you hear about the work of mission. We've prayed numerous times already for mission work. And that reminds you. You hear of other local churches. I hope that hearing about Cedar View today is, a, is an encouragement to you. Cedar View was not healthy. It's got a long way to go still. But it was very poor health eight years ago. And you had a part in that, whether you realized it or not. And as Jim said earlier, there are many with heavy burdens, and difficult seasons and valleys. I hope you are able in this sermon to think about how God is giving victory elsewhere, and that is your victory as well. Undoubtedly, in witnessing the effects of this providential reconnection of Paul and the Thessalonian believers, at this most crucial point in time, Timothy must have been profoundly built up in his faith and resolved to serve his Savior well. So as it did for him, for Paul, for Sylvanus, I'll give you this theme for today. The good news, the report, the good news concerning the good news, the gospel, strengthens our resolve to serve the Lord. The good news concerning the good news strengthens our resolve to serve the Lord. And I'm going to give you two ways that it strengthens that resolve. First off, it gives us a renewed drive for mission. We see that from verses 7 and 8. He says right there, for this reason that is based on the report of Timothy's, Paul and his companions, including Timothy, they have this renewed drive for mission. The mission of Christ's glory and honor spread through all these local churches. Paul describes his response as comfort, but it also carries the idea of encouragement, and, and that even to me falls short of what's going on. So when so many things could have gone wrong, when Paul's thoughts of the Thessalonians were running wild, right? What if, their, what if their countrymen go too far? What if they threaten them with death? What if they can't withstand the persecution? Will our labor be in vain? He could have driven himself mad. And you know exactly what that's like, don't you? All the possibilities of the things that could go wrong and your life or the life of someone you love. The anxiety, the paranoia, the worry, the lack of faith, the sin, the sin. Did Paul sinfully worry? I don't know. We don't, we don't see a, a confession necessarily. But it seems that it was a constant temptation for him in this season. But how else would you get the wonderful passages about how he learned to have joy and faith no matter the circumstances? And I think we see a marked difference between the early Paul with the end of life Paul. You know, he had the constant pressure of anxiety for all the churches, 2 Corinthians 11. And at this point, these are early days, he was likely dealing with debilitating 
despair prior to writing this letter, overwhelmed with, as he says, distress and affliction. And then yet, much later, from Philippians, from prison, he's discovered the secret to having joy no matter what's happening around him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So here, when he heard from Timothy, he was greatly comforted, relieved. Despair was overtaken by joy. Timothy got to hear this report and then bear this report. And he got to watch Paul's life. I hope you didn't miss it. Paul's life restored before his eyes at the good news from Thessalonica. Timothy got to observe Paul learning lessons of joy and affliction, strength and weakness, victory and persecution, smiles behind prison bars, and the satisfaction of a life poured out as a drink offering to God. What role did this play? What role did this report play in the long run of Paul's ministry? We don't know, but it had a tremendous effect at this early stage as we see from this passage. You know, considering these things, considering our moments and seasons of despair, you know, there's a, there's a long customized list of the things that you're tempted to worry about, the things that will cause you anxiety. But I would ask you this question as we look at their relationship. Are you so invested in your brothers and sisters in Christ that their growth makes you reprioritize things to the honor of God? You know, we lose sleep over bills that need to be paid or the job that we want or the upcoming doctor's appointment. But do you have regular prayerful considerations of your brothers struggling to fight sin, your sisters facing constant opposition in their faith? Is your concern elevated when fellow saints don't show up on Sunday? Does that affect your prayers? I'll tell you, when that kind of concern, that deep concern, is comforted at the good news of more and more faith, more and more love, more and more reciprocal affection, I can't tell you how it brings comfort to the depths of the soul. Paul and his crew, they needed that comfort. But he was also encouraged. He was also encouraged. He was comforted and encouraged. The the report breathed new life into Paul. His statement in verse 8 is odd, honestly. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. You say this can't be right. Surely Paul's life does not hinge on the rise and fall of the faith in Thessalonica. Yet hear a comment on this. Before there had been a dead weight of apprehension, they felt lifeless with no enthusiasm. It's describing Paul 
his companions state prior to this report. From the position of a pastor, I know what this is like, but saints, you ought also to know what this is like too. There are weeks when it feels like there's no way forward in ministry. There's no way forward on mission, and it's paralyzing. It's debilitating. And yet God meets, he meets your pastors in the time of need and renews their drive for the mission. But I would ask you also, is it possible folks, that we don't have this kind of drive for mission. When I say mission, I'm talking about the the completed great commission where we don't just get the gospel to all people, but we're actually seeing people, Colossians 1, presented complete. Is it possible we don't have that drive for mission because we've really not invested that much in one another? Paul says this report renews us, new life. We can keep going now. Hebert adds, they felt they had been given a new lease on life and could go on with a sense of fullness and satisfaction. He says, had the Thessalonian believers abandoned the faith, it would have been a veritable death blow to Paul. Life overcomes this looming presence of defeat and death. And Paul reveals his lofty expectations for these Thessalonian believers. For now we live, if, since, you are standing firm in the faith. And and that word, which can be translated both ways, you can see how if you're standing firm, then I'm good. And now he has learned, since you're standing firm, I am good. He does not express doubt in this statement at this point, but full confidence that they will continue in their faith more and more. And oh, how Timothy must have shared in the encouragement and gotten yet another taste of the despairs and the subsequent joys that come along with caring for a local church. So the first way we're strengthened is a renewed drive for mission, new life in that mission. And then the second way is a new, excuse me, is a revived dependence on God. We're strengthened in a revived dependence on God. We see that from verses 9 and 10. The renewed drive for mission comes with a revived dependence on God. Now, the response is not directed at the Thessalonian believers. Rather, it points Paul to God in thanksgiving. You read there with me. He doesn't say, thank you, folks, for being so strong and enduring. And Man, you've done so well for yourselves, and I'm so happy about that. No. And you know. You know Paul well enough. Paul recognizes that their faith and love, their reciprocal affection for Paul, is something that came from the gracious hand of God. And so he asked this rhetorical question, how can we thank God enough for this? 
There is an unending measure of, of, of gratitude for God, for the way that he's preserved and built up this local church. The idea is that any attempt to express what this meant to Paul would fall incredibly short. It would be overwhelmingly inadequate. Here's where the confidence of the Spirit's groanings too deep for words may well apply. Our inability to sufficiently articulate thanksgiving to God gives way to this divine intercession that needs no supplementation. But yet we read of one word used to indicate the feelings that Paul now felt. Joy. Joy. This passage, even this whole letter, it lets us know how Paul was, this brother was in touch with his emotions. Now that's not to say that joy is an emotion. I'll leave that relationship for you to, to discern and maybe debate some other time amongst yourselves. But once Paul, by God's grace, was refreshed in the joy of this good news, his outlook changed. He felt as though dead and now was reinvigorated with life. Paul felt deeply. I hope that even just this little sampling of verses will help you to see that well. He was not a stoic. He felt deeply, which makes him a good model for pastors and missionaries but it also made him vulnerably dependent on God. He was previously on the brink of despair, overcome with depression, and now he's filled with joy inexpressible, all due to the news that this church was becoming what God intended it to be. All the joy, he says, all the joy. Psalm 30 tells us, that weeping lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And it sounds like it was a long night for Paul, but it was a longer night for Jesus. Just thinking of the weight of sin, God's wrath in Gethsemane, Sweating droplets of blood under the crushing burden of so much more than a wooden cross, taking the lashes and the crown, the mockery, the beatings. He entered into our despair. He took on our weight of sin. He took on our depression. And he was pleased to take the death blow on our behalf. The Lord of glory died. But you know, saints, what happened on that third day? Joy comes in the morning. Joy was set before him. And he had all the joy because he succeeded in purchasing a people for God's own possession. His life was gone, but he was given new life. And now he lives. And you know the proof 
that his life brings life because you are standing fast in the Lord. His death was not in vain. His suffering was not for nothing. His passion was not wasted. And you believers are the lasting proof that Christ's death was effective to save to the uttermost, to ransom captive sinners. This is the original good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the good news about the original good news that revived Paul, but today it's the original good news. Christ's death, his resurrection, that brings eternal life. It's possible that maybe you've yet to repent of sin and trust Christ. Would you turn from that sin as you surrender in faith to the Lord of glory who died and rose again? Would you be welcomed into the redeemed today by responding in faith? Would you be raised from death to life? Would you trust Jesus today? Now we're not quite done. Let's continue with the text. Like Jesus, Paul embraced all the joy. Ah. It caused, on, it caused him to depend on God for two more petitions that he makes here. He beseeched God to answer these prayers, as he says, day and night. These two petitions were his constant prayer concerning the, th the saints at Thessalonica. And I don't know how to adequately describe how important to these two things were to him and hopefully to these believers as they received the letter first. First petition to see them face to face to see them face to face. Folks at Cedarview know that, that I've been known to beat a dead horse. And I'll do it again here today with you all. And I want you to listen very closely. Being with the saints face to face. Being face to face on the Lord's Day gathering, and really as many other chances as you get, is absolutely necessary to your Christian life and ministry. Somehow we read these words of Paul who prayed night and day that he could see these people face to face and minister to them. But many professing Christians, they can't manage to find that face to face on Sunday. Many just won't prioritize the church gathering. I would challenge you to sit down with a calendar and, and consider maybe even six months. Take inventory of all those occasions you've not been with the saints in worship on Sunday. When you've not sat next to your spouse and children to prioritize Jesus and his people. People do this and then somehow they expect that they'll grow in faith. They neglect the people of God and wonder what's happening. 
You know, this is one thing that causes me despair, Christians devaluing the presence of one another face to face. He makes this first petition, and he makes a second. The second is some way dependent on the first. He says, speaking of himself and his crew, that that they may supply what is lacking in the Thessalonian believers' faith. Paul's insatiable desire was to do whatever he needed to do to make this local church what it needed to be. And now we don't need to read into that and think that there was something wrong with their faith. Paul knew that they were young believers, that so much maturing needed to happen. And that maturing needed to happen more and more. It's a recurring phrase. He was not satisfied to simply let them go. It was this longing to see them face to face so that he could be to them again that nursing mother, that encouraging father that he speaks of. So I'd ask you, will you prioritize being face to face? If not, how will you supply what is lacking in your pastor's faith? What is lacking in your deacon's faith? What is lacking in the faith of those people around you, your spouse, your children, your friends? But also, how will the rest of these folks supply what is lacking in your faith? Maybe maybe it's a good time to evaluate these things, recommitting to the things that God has given you to complete the mission, to see one another fully matured, and on that day, present them to the Lord. The good news, concerning the good news, strengthens our resolve to serve the Lord. There may be other applications I'm sure hopefully the Spirit is helping us with, but for now, let's conclude with prayer. Father, we are delighted to open your word and see these these relationships, these companions, these partners in the gospel, and especially this local church that remains steadfast under trial. We pray, Father, that we could look to these things, ultimately looking to you and your grace provided in the Lord Jesus, that you've supplied all of our needs, that you will supply all of our needs. And we know that as we look to him, we will be transformed. We will be more like Christ from one degree of glory to another. Thank you for these truths to which we cling tightly by your help. Send your spirit to help us again. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.